into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. What if you found a portal to a parallel universe? What if you could slide into a thousand different worlds where it's the same year and you're the same person, but everything else is different? And what if you can't find your way home? Welcome back for another issue of Imagine If. This week, we are back to doing 101s. We're going to be talking to you about one of the breakout characters from um, Fox's The Gift. The Gifted. The Gifted. That's what it is. I I actually watch the show. (laughs) I don't know why I forgot it. But yes, The Gifted. So if you're you're watching that show and you have uh, something that you're interested in, we're going to talk about that. But before that, Chris, we're going to talk about Spinner Rack. Like yeah. we usually do. So let's see. This Wednesday, go to your local comic shop and be ready because we've got a lot coming out. I'll start on the DC Comics side of things. So Action Comics issue 996. Um, this continues on with the Booster Shot arc, part four. This arc has actually been kind of fun. It, it's very classic like superhero team-up stuff, and I like that. Um, basically, Superman decides to go back in time to verify if Mr. Oz is his father. Um, by him going back in time, of course, Booster shows up a split second afterwards and is like, oh, crap, Superman's already left. This is going to cause the <laughs> timeline to mess up. So he has to use the cosmic treadmill, and then the Flash is there. Now, this was the part I found funny. Flash gets beaten by Booster. Like in a foot race? Well, like in a fight because Flash is kind of like, hey, you're not supposed to be messing with this stuff. It's a sensitive equipment. And it's interesting because I was, I was racking my brains. I don't think Flash and, or sorry, I don't think Barry and Booster have ever met because Booster, I believe, was created in 19, either late 86 or early 87. So after Crisis. After Crisis, and Barry's dead by that point. Right. And I don't remember any flashback tales where they're like, oh, look, you know, here's here's so-and-so. Now, Wally and Booster know each other. Right. But Barry, not so much. Mm. So. I mean, the, I mean, with booster being a time traveler and all there's pl- probably plenty of opportunities where he went back before 86 uh or before 85 when the crisis on infinite earth happened and they could have met but uh like you said you they're you're probably right they they, they surely yeah. shouldn't have but then again you got rebirth and did crisis on infinite earth even happen anymore well that depends on if convergence counts and you know so this will we'll jump a little bit into the rumor mill on this one so Tom King, if you follow him on Twitter, he's got some very mysterious posts. Like, I think he's going to write something with Booster. Mm. So that's coming. And he might be writing a crisis. So, you know, that word's a big thing. So right. it's like, okay, like, what's going to happen here? And if I remember correctly, Tom King, I think he did write Convergence. So, obviously, those seeds are not just going to get thrown to the wind. And in Convergence, we basically find that Post-crisis, Superman, Lois, and baby Jonathan Kent, along with Silver Age, Barry Allen Flash, Kara Zor-El, Supergirl, and Hal Jordan Parallax, which would be post-crisis, that group of heroes goes back to the original crisis, and that set of power basically just helps destroy the Anti-Monitor. So in the original crisis, the Monitor, like, it was basically the issue where Barry dies, so like seven or eight, that's where he destroyed the multiverse, 
and then everything was reformed into the timeline. Well, now apparently that moment in time never happened. So it's like, okay, well, what do we expect? So I don't know. I would definitely, those are three things to be watching for. Tom King, Booster Gold, and Crisis. <laughs> so uh, if you've got your Twitter filters, definitely keep it ordered out for those. But yeah, Booster Shot Part 4 Action Comics 986. It's been fun. Um, I've enjoyed it. Uh, part three revealed that Booster was a citizen of Met- of Gotham City from the future, which I found funny because I always thought he was Metropolis, but I guess there's only one football team in the MCU <laughs> or in the DCU, so that's how that works. Um, Aquaman Volume Four Underworld. This is probably um, as we were talking about 101ing today, we were looking at Aquaman as a character. Um, so if you want to start doing your homework now in reference for the future, like when the Aquaman movie comes out and Which stuff like that. Which would be December of this year. I yeah, so not too far away. This trade paperback, this is pretty much going to be where it starts happening. This is the uh, momification of Aquaman, as I like to call <laughs> it, because now we're getting the beard and pretty soon, you know, we'll start getting the stylized suit and tattoos. You know, and- yeah, it, all that stuff will definitely be coming. So this trade is definitely somewhere to start. Um, if you are collecting Lost, or sorry, Batman or Metal, Dark Knight's Metal, um, Batman Lost number one is a reprint. Are they getting a second print for it? So they're getting a second print for it. Um, that one, it was an interesting book. Um, I can't say I felt it was necessary in the metal. So there's a page in this book, in this comic, where basically we see old man Bruce Wayne and on his bookshelf are these special moments. And like one is like Final Crisis, uh, Metal, and all these other, you know, the Court of Owls. And there's one where it was like Justice League no justice or something like that so that's an easter egg that maybe schneider's got a a story coming up soon Uh who knows um so wait uh over at the avengers they got avengers uh no surrender and over at justice league we got justice no justice yeah no justice yep yep all right yeah i'm cool with it because you know in justice league we've got injustice which is a great video game i got an idea marvel if you're ready for it avengers vengeance um (laughs) yeah let's make this a video game let's make this happen and yeah you can just swim in the money (laughs) okay so anyways but yes lost is out there so it's part of the thing i don't feel it's necessary but if you want go for it um and then we will be getting more of these various batmans um the Dawnbreaker will be getting a third print. The Drowned will be getting a third print. And the Merciless and Murder Machine and Red Death will all be getting reprints as well. Uh, Dawnbreaker would be the evil Green Lantern Batman. Drowned, the evil Aquaman Batman as a woman. The Merciless is the evil Wonder Woman Batman. And the Murder Machine is the evil Cyborg Batman. And the Red Death is the evil Flash Batman. Yeah. Okay. So why not the <laughs> Doomsday Superman Batman? I think that one actually might have been reprinted last week, but I can't remember. Oh, okay. But they might be doing them in little bits because, like, this is the bad part. Like, Metal has been fantastic, but I was just thinking about this the other day. It's almost been two weeks since we've had a relevant Metal tie-in. Mm. You're going to forget about that series. So I don't know if they had scheduling problems, internaling problems, or if they just thought this would be a good idea. I don't think it was. I'm sorry. I mean, I love DC Comics, but when you've got a schedule, you've got to keep it tight. Yeah. You know, maybe a one-week break, okay, but a two-, three-week break, no. And they're to a point where at the start of this crossover, they were doing, like, almost weekly tie-in, like a major part, a tie-in, and a a profile book, something to that order. So it started four, now it's two. Now I think we're at the point where it's, like, one book a month. 
And, you know, that's just, that's not going to work. But anyways, you know, it's still fun. So if you've missed out, go out and get those. I don't want to say for sure, but I know all these covers have been by Jason Fabook. So they might be linkable or they'll definitely be themed. So, you know, if you wanted like a very stylized character cover, this is definitely the way to go. I would like to say, I think we should have the... uh, the evil Batman, we should have them fight the emotional spectrum lanterns. Ooh, wow. That'd be kind of fun, you know? Like, let's have Batman the Merciless fight Atrocitus, right? I mean, come on. Yeah, it'd be pretty, yeah. That's pretty damn metal right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyways, uh, Blue Beetle issue 17 will be out. Um, again, this is a book I advocate for. Why? Because I like Ted Cord. I think he's a great character. And sadly, though, this will be the last issue of Blue Beetle. Um, so this is another book. I think this is the second or third book to pass away post rebirth. So I'm glad that he wasn't the first, but I'm still sad that we're losing him. Um, the Demon Hell is Earth miniseries is continuing, so we're part three of six. Detective Comics 973 is out there. Um, that's a book I'm not reading, but I wish I was because it seems like there's going to be a lot of what's going on. Like it's funny because the Batman book is obviously Batman, but I almost feel like that book. It's not necessarily telling me what's going on in the main DCU proper. It's kind of doing its own thing, which isn't bad. But the detective book is going to be laying a lot of groundwork. Because are you still reading Detective? Yes. Do you? I, I'm guessing here. Okay, Batwoman's probably going to become a villain pretty soon. Yeah. Is yeah. That safe? I mean, that's essentially like you saw a lonely place of living. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously future Tim Drake comes back and he's like, Hey, you know, Batwoman's going to turn on you any second now and, uh, it's going to be bad. So I'm going to kill her first. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the seeds that they're planting. Um, she's going to eventually do something here pretty soon. That's going to really, uh, I don't know, turn the tide for her. Hmm. Now, are you reading the Batwoman book by chance? No. Okay, because I'm curious, because I think maybe I saw on the solicits, but yeah, I, I got to feel that she's going to turn. I don't I mean, know. I do you mean, think it's going to be a permanent turn? Do you think that she's going to be an, an evil person? I, you know, it's one of those things where it's... I mean, obviously with her father being the leader of the colonists, I think that's what they were called, mm-hmm. um, she's already got the evil streak in her, or, you know, if you believe genetically or whatever, but... Maybe she she becomes the new leader of the colonists and uh, takes over that, and they try and take over Gotham again. Yeah, I could feel like I mean, I, I would almost say like she might become like maybe like a Ra's al Ghul type of evil, mm. you know, where it's like this is in the best interest, right. but I don't agree with it, right. you know, things like that. I just I don't know, and it's one of those things where it's like, well, do do they ever stay evil? You know, so she might have her turn where it's like, okay, let's give her a, a parallax go around, you know. So I don't know, I just. I was kind of picking up that vibe. But we'll see. I mean, if her book is still publishing, then she'll stay heroic. Once her book's probably getting near cancellation, (laughs) that's usually a good sign of that. Let's do something major to the character. Uh, Let's see. Well, anyways, uh, Doomsday Clock Part 3 is coming out. Um, You know, the first issue hit hard and heavy. Second issue felt like a slow burn. So I'm very curious to see what issue three is going to give me. So that puts us already a quarter of the way through the series. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very interested to see. The art is beautiful. And this is going to be one of those ones where it's like I need to have the paper issues because it's going to have to be like read one and then the next month read one and two and then the next yeah. month read one, two and three because that book's going to be so layered in just 
Yeah, I've only so many spoilers. Read issue one so far. I have issue two. I just haven't gotten around to reading it yet. And I don't know. I think I need to reread issue one again. Yeah, it's definitely because there's so much, and even even how they did it, kind of like kind of like they did with Watchmen with the articles in the back. You know, I feel like that's going to be one of those things they're doing there. Uh, Flash thirty nine is out. Gotham City Garage number eight will be out. Um, I don't normally mention this book too much because it's not a book I'm reading, but I guess they did a major thing recently. And if the spoilers are correct, if I remember correctly, I guess they decided to. Actually, maybe I'm mixing this one up, but I believe this is the book where they decided to make Black Canary be the new League of Assassins leader. Oh, really? She essentially, and if I remember my panels correctly, she just lobbed off Rachel Ghoul's head and is like, all right, I'm the new one. So what exactly is Gotham City Garage? I know they they all have motorcycles and they kind of look like bikers or something. Yeah, it's very like uh, steam pop. I don't know what that like. You know, um, it's just very old timey looking, but motorcycle themed. And so are I believe they, it's like a very like female led universe too. like the female characters are the ones that are more right in the, the, the role of leadership on that. So, one. I mean, is it still I mean, I know they have the names, but are they still the same characters or are they just like biker gangs now or something? They're still the same characters, but yeah, they're very much going to be like biker themed you know so okay. it's like oh you're part of the supers you know or something to that effect like i said i'm not really reading it but from what i gleamed that's what i see and it mainly looks like it's that just came about because it's like hey let's do these designer statues yeah kind of like how the bombshells went right you know it's like we do these very 40s c themed pinups and then hey this caught on let's make it a comic so but anyways yeah uh, if you're a fan of black canary if that book's not on your list that might be one getting um, this is a great trade paperback, and this is something I would recommend if you want to get into this character. Green Arrow, The Archer's Quest. So this one, if I remember correctly, this is... Um, oh, golly gee, was it... Because it's either Brad Meltzer or... Yes, it is Brad Meltzer. Okay, so this is Brad Meltzer, and he took over Green Arrow right after Kevin Smith finished. Correct. Um, the artist was still on there. Um I can't remember his name, and I should. Phil Hester? Phil Hester, thank you. So Phil Hester stayed on the book, so it very much flowed nicely because Brad and Kevin, they had a good writing that their writing voice seemed the same. So mm-hmm. like sometimes when a writer leaves, the character changes. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel that with this when I remember reading that. So I would say, you know, always get the Kevin Smith run and then get the Brad Meltzer run. And that is just like a fantastic arc of Ollie Queen Green Arrow. And then he did he did his Green Arrow right before he did his Justice League of America, right? Yes, that is correct. Um, actually, I think Green Arrow was his first comic book work. Okay. Because, yeah, at that point it was like, oh, this lawyer is going to start writing Green Arrow. And you're like, a lawyer? <laughs> Green Arrow? What? <laughs> and now he's just a, you know, best-selling author. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, definitely put that on your bookshelves. It's a great one. Uh, Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps, issue 37. This begins the crossover with the Green Lanterns facing General Zod. So this is going to be interesting because I've been noticing Zod's been used a lot. And, I mean, Zod really doesn't have that much presence unless you're talking movies. You know, he was the True. villain in yeah. Superman 2. He was the villain in Man of Steel. But in the comics, nobody ever gave a crap about Zod. Hmm. And I want to say, like, probably I mean, pretty much post-Man of Steel, 
Zod has become like this is a go-to Superman villain. We use him a lot. You know, he's he's being used in Injustice. Uh, he's being used here. So this is kind of interesting. And we've had a lot of back and forth between Superman and Green Lantern. So this is pretty exciting. So I, I know I'm I'm pretty excited for this arc. I'm curious to see what they'll do. Then we've got Justice League of America number twenty-three. Um, Lobo by Keith Giffen and Alan Grant, Volume 1. So there's talk a lot about Lobo, you know, like, hey, maybe a movie or this or that. He is a unique character. Um, I can't really say I could find somebody in the Marvel U that's similar to him. I know people had him and Wolverine fight each other, but I just think that was like sheer amount of badassery. Yeah. You know, but that's their only common link. So he's very much a great character. I would would recommend giving this one a read through. Obviously, though, very much a a character of the 90s, though, right? Oh, he was created in the 90s, right? I want to say, actually, he might have been late 80s. Like he was, he was created in the, um, Oh man, it wasn't the Outsider. It was, it was kind of like the Outsiders, but in space. They were this team that crossed over with Green Lantern every once in a while. Oh, okay, um, the Omega Men. There we go. They ah. were the Omega, and so they were very much a throwaway. And and he's got that. He he had that almost uh, Shiar hair then, didn't he? Well, he very much more. I would say punk rocker hair as opposed to the the Shiar look. Okay. But you're right. He did have like it was very much like like half oval or half circular and yeah. either like a mohawk or a side mohawk uh, or something okay. to that effect. But yeah. But um, yeah, he was definitely very funky looking. Um, just weird. Yeah, just <laughs> a weird character. I don't know. Yeah. Who would be the equivalent over in the Marvel side of uh, the last Cesarian? You know, it's weird because yeah. And even I'm glad that you said that the last Cesarian, cause he killed his planet. Right. You know, it's like, well, I'm going to be the best there is. So I kill all of us. So it's like, <laughs> Uh, in space, who's genocidal? I mean, maybe Thanos. Oh, that's know? good. The Mad Titan. Yeah. So I mean, and that'd be a pretty badass fight to see. To be honest with yeah, you. Yeah. Personally, my money on something to see. I think it'd be great to see the Gladiator versus Lobo. Oh, that because would be good. One is like they're both you know these super strong aliens, but one is very much like order and neatness and high and tight, and then the other's Lobo. <laughs> you know, so I think that'd be a fun battle. To go I into. hear a buddy cop film that too. You know, <laughs> they're both on the on the chase, and they, they rescue some space dolphins, and you know, there you go. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, continuing on, this is going to be an exciting one. Nightwing, The New Order, Part 6. So this is the final issue. And um, uh, there was an article I read. I, I wish, I'll wish i have to find the link and see if I can put it out there. But Dan Didio did use the E-word, Elseworlds. Mm-hmm. But basically, he said the reason why we're not putting it on the comics is everything counts. You know, what's happening in the movies and the cartoons, the Lego movies, the video games, all of it counts. So there's no need to differentiate that this is outside the norm. I get it. I guess after, you know, after Crisis on Infinite Earths, we have one Earth. We have one timeline. Everything else is hyper time and uh, multidimensional. So thus we have Elseworlds. But now that what Infinite Crisis brought back... uh, yeah, Infinite Crisis is the one that brought back the idea of the multiverse and multiverse. labeling Earths. Right. So now, now everything is in continuity. You know, er, these different worlds w- exist everywhere, or whatever. Yeah. However you want to put it, or yeah. So, but still, I mean, it's just a nice little symbol. Why? Why not have it on there? Well, I say you do it for the new fans because what if some kid? And That's this true. Is where you know some kid comes in and. He, you know, he just watched the Nightwing movie. It's fantastic. And he goes and he's buying a bunch of trade paperbacks. Now he's going to see one that says Nightwing, the new order. Oh, that doesn't sound any different than, you know, like Nightwing, crime and punishment, Nightwing, truth and justice, you know? So, okay. That sounds like it could be part of the main line of comics. So this kid's already going to have a hard enough time trying to figure out, okay, well, where do I put this in order of the trades? And then he's going to read that one and be like, 
what the hell was up with that story? Why was Dick older? Why does Dick have a son? <laughs> you know? So, I mean, it's one of those things. Yeah, put that branding on it because it'll still sell. Because people want stories like that anyways. I mean, I, I picked it up. Why? I'm a Nightwing fan. I kept reading it. Why? Because it's a great story. You know, you know that also makes me think that uh, maybe they're just like, oh, uh, when the movie comes out, we just want to take a story. We can take it from this Nightwing New Order because it's not an Elseworld. It's still part of the world. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I I mean would... that's I, that's the cynical part of me, I guess. Yeah. I uh, I hope that's very wrong. <laughs> How do you feel about issue six? So I mean, I know ne- neither one of us has read it yet, but uh, like I don't know. Like after reading issue five, I think I think it's like there's a lot of story left to tell, and if we're on the last issue already, yeah, this is going to be a very and I I, I I I hope there's like a seven and an eight or something because yeah, it, it dragged. Like, two and three felt like there was a little bit of dragging. Like, that could have been condensed into one issue. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it started building, and it's like, okay, but we're almost out of story. So either six is going to be, like, I hope an oversized comic. Like, hey, maybe we'll give you 12 extra pages. Um, Or I'm going to kind of walk away from this with, a like, it's like, you know, here's this two-hour movie. So we spend an hour on character development, you know, and then 40 minutes on (laughs) the problem, and then a quick 10 minute solution. And you're like, yeah, that's not going to, that doesn't help. And I almost feel like that's what that might fall into. So I'm either going to be like, okay, this writer pulled off a miracle, which is going to be rare, <laughs> or I'm going to read this and be like, that kind of sucks. So yeah. I feel like it's going to be a condensed conclusion, which doesn't necessarily leave for a good ending. No. So yeah, I'm kind of scared. I mean, I hope it's good, but yeah, I can definitely see, I, I see where you're coming from and I feel the same way. Um, but let's see, continuing on, we've got Raven, Daughter of Darkness. Now, Raven just had some big moments in the, um, was it the Sun, the Super Sons of Tomorrow, right? Or, no, in Metal. I'm metal. sorry, in Metal. She got brought back, and basically there was an established history between her and Cyborg. Now, in theory, Cyborg shouldn't even know who the Teen Titans are unless he's watching the news, but he never served with them because right. he's always been a member of the League since his origin. Uh, this was major, so I'm curious if Daughter of Darkness will be a miniseries that will kind of reestablish her well, place in the DCU. Didn't Wasn't it when, um, the what was it, the... Crime Syndicate of America came over and they threw him out and they they made grid out of him or whatever. Didn't the Teen Titans uh, get get him put him back together in that that story arc? I don't think so. I could have sworn what was that I called that was, that Forever, was Forever Evil. Evil. It yeah. was a spin out of Forever Evil, and I I could have sworn it was more like Batman helped get him to his father, and then his father and Star Labs kind of helped rebuild him. Hmm. Maybe I'm putting two stories together, but I remember I thought I remember like he was like. Oh, my my dad made me. He made me a certain way, and that was cool, but I need a little bit more sleeker, and that's when he was with the Titans when he was rebuilding himself after Grid expelled him. Yeah, no, I can't say. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not remembering that part, but maybe there was something I missed. Too. Okay. So who knows? Uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of DC there. So kind of a small week, which isn't too bad. That'll let you breathe a little bit in your bank account. <laughs> um, let's see. I didn't spy much coming out of Dynamite. IDW, that's the home of the, uh, I like to call it the home of our 80s and 90s toy lines. Right. They got a book here that I'm kind of interested in. It's called Best of Rocketeer Adventures Funko Edition. Now, I'm guessing it's probably just a, um, the cover is done in the Funko style, but this could be a nice little introductory to the Rocketeer. He's always a character that has a soft spot in my heart because I felt that was a good movie. They did a great job with it, and then I go to discover, like, oh, this guy's a comic book character? That made it even better for me. Comic book character and a radio <coughs> character, I believe. 
I don't know if he actually was. I don't know if he was that far back because while they did implant it that he was very much 1940s, he actually was 1980s. Oh, okay. Yeah, like right before his movie appeared, he was maybe only like a year or two old. Oh. So they did a good job of making it feel that, wow, this is an older character than it really is. But uh, either way, definitely check him out. He's, he's a fun character. Um, I just like, you know, his youthfulness and, and the way he interacts with, you know, his, his um, supporting cast. I think that's great. Let's see. Taking a look outside of uh, Image Comics. Um, the only thing I would definitely, well, actually, no, I don't really see too much popping out of there. Uh, so jumping along, moving to Marvel Comics. So Marvel is going to be releasing Amazing Spider-Man number 794. Uh, definitely jump on the um, Amazing Spider-Man book. I, before Dan Slott leaves, I feel this going out swinging or going out fighting. I forget. I think it's swinging. Swinging, yeah. Um, I feel this story arc is going to be massive, and I'm excited about it. Um, are you okay with spoilers? Because yeah. we're going to talk about this. Um, so... Are you talking about the the Red Goblin spoiler? Yeah, yeah. I, so. I saw this too. I saw this this week. Which uh, I, I, I we're, if we're going to talk about that right now, anybody that doesn't want to know anything, go ahead and just skip ahead five minutes because uh, it is a massive spoiler that uh, it looked like. What was it? The Amazon description. Amazon, yeah. Well, kind Amazon of. in the UK, so yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the American Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they kind of spoiled it for everybody. So. Starting from here, five minutes. All right, and go. So, okay, we're going to have going down swinging, and basically Norman Osborn gets the Carnage symbiote and becomes the Red Goblin. Now, this looks interesting. Now, there could be more to it. I mean, is Mephesto involved? I'd say so, because if you look at the image that was posted recently, um, it has the Red Goblin flying on a flame-powered... Um, Goblin glider. goblin glider. Well, as we know, fire and symbiotes don't mix. Right. So I think there's going to be a little bit of magic involved. We know Norman has been trying to gather magic abilities, and Mephesto has been a villain of Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange's magic, so therefore I think Mephesto's going to help him out a little bit here. Can you recall where the last time you saw uh, Cletus and the Carnage symbiote? Myself, personally, I want to say I think it was Minimum Carnage. So they did a play on the maximum range, so they shrank him down, and he wrecked havoc that way. Mm. It was just a neat little crossover, kind of like this Venom Incorporated. Uh, After that, I I can't say I really remember, because he had his own book, and then I guess just sales plummeted. How long ago was that? I want to say this is maybe about a year or two ago. Okay. So, So, I mean, I don't don't know if you've read it yet, or I I haven't read it, but do you know how Norman Osborn is going to get a hold of this uh, Carnage symbiote? I don't. And it's kind of interesting because to me, I don't feel like separating Carnage from Cletus is a good idea, especially with Marvel just having been like, hey, let's put Eddie Brock back in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. So while I feel this may be a Carnage symbiote, I also feel like this might be maybe a symbiote from Carnage. So another offspring. Yeah. You know, that might be something that they play with there. I mean, you Plus, know, these issues aren't out um, because this issue that we're talking about, 794, is called Threat Level Red. So this is obviously with them using the color red, this is probably like two issues where it's going to lead to, you know, Norman getting the symbiote and then finally kicking off the going down swinging arc. So the answer to our question, I guess, is, is you know, with this issue right here. Yeah, probably. So and, and like you said, with fire and stuff, it, it there might be a magical element to it. Like he, he asked Mephesto for it, sold his soul, sold, sold Normie's soul. I don't know. Something yeah. like that. And Normie's a weird kid. <laughs> 
comes from weird stock. Yep. Yeah, no kidding, right? Uh, but so anyways, yep. Uh, I recommend jumping on this arc. I have enjoyed Dan Slott for the last 10 years in Spider-Man. I know a lot of people have been angry, you know, but I've enjoyed those stories. Has he Spider-Man? started since Brand New Day? Yeah. Is that was, was like his first or something? Or was he much. on there before Brand New Day? I want to say, I think he was on there after. Like, And even then I would say like with Brand New Day, I think they did like one or two arcs and then he joined the team. Mm. Uh, probably as a replacement to uh, Bob Gale. Because wasn't Bob Gale part of that brain trust for a while though? That was... In control of Spider Man, Bob Gale, like like Back to the Future, Back Bob to the Gale? Bob. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he did some Marvel stuff. Yeah. He uh, he wrote an arc of Daredevil. He wrote a, a. This is a great little hidden gem of a book, and maybe with Ant Man being successful, they might reproduce it. It's called Ant Man Big Christmas. Okay. Yeah, I just bought it on a whim, and I loved it. It was a great just comic book story. So yeah, that's would that be Scott Lang? No, I think it was actually Hank Pym. Really? Yeah, I think he he went he went straight up original. Okay. Yeah, but uh, so anyway, so yeah, I've been enjoying the Spider Man book. I recommend jumping on there and enjoying what Dan's got to do for his last hurrah. Um, I'm sure you heard, you know, where he's going to going next. To Iron Man, yeah, yeah, going to Iron Man. So that'll be interesting. I mean, to go from the flagship to going to the character that. Well, one, it's not even Tony anymore, right? It's like well, a hobby. Because that's what we're going through right now in the Iron Man book. Um, because that's also leading up to the big anniversary issue, like Iron Man 600 or something like that. And it's going to be... Because I think right now they're calling it the search for Tony Stark. Okay. So basically that's what they're going to do is let's put Tony back in the driver's seat. Fair. I mean, I, I guess if... I, I mean, I, I still consider Spider-Man the flagship of, of Marvel, but... Obviously, with Robert Downey Jr. and the way the MCU goes, uh, Tony Stark is kind of the—he's the new flagship. He's yeah. the flagship of the of the MCU, so that that makes a lot of sense. It's I I, I mean that kind of makes sense. I, I I don't know. Do you do you feel it's a lateral step or do you feel like it's a step forward or a step back for Dan Slott himself? Well, it's interesting because it's it's definitely a lateral step. But in reality, it's going to be a back step because, okay, if you think about who has the history of getting canned more. True. You know, and even then, even at its prime, okay, Spider-Man has had amazing web, Peter, spectacular, uh, you know, web spinners, all these books, Iron Man. Just Iron Man. Invincible Iron you know, Man? Well, Invincible, but even then, that was kind of like Uncanny X-Men. Where right, they put right, that, right, yeah. That, the Mighty Thor, when they put the title in front of it. Um, so just the one book. Know. Yeah, I mean, he's he's had two at a time, because I, I think you're right. He did have Iron Man and Invincible Iron Man, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, Tony's not that big to where we need two books. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where you get clever and you start saying, okay, well, maybe we have a pepper book for rescue and we have a roadie book for war machine, you know, hint, hint, bring back roadie, (laughs) you know, something to that effect. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, it's definitely a lateral move because like you said, now you're going from the face of Marvel to the face of the MCU. Okay. Um, But in the reality, no, because Iron Man will have a higher probability being canceled than Spider-Man ever would. Uh, so let's see. Uh, moving along, we got Avengers issue 677. This continues on with the big, massive Avengers No Surrender story arc. Um, I wish I could say I was super excited for it. I've read parts of one, one and two, and you know, I'm I'm interested, but I'm not crazy excited as I should be. I don't know. Maybe I just haven't you know gotten back. Like it's funny because my as we've talked about before, you know, our starter books have always been like Avengers and Justice League, and right now those are two books that I'm not really giving a damn about. So I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully as this series progresses, because I will admit there are some of the covers and the solicits sound exciting, 
But then when I read the actual issue, I'm kind of like, man, I wish the solicits guy was the one writing this because mm. it seemed a little bit more exciting. <laughs> um, and let's see. Guardians of the Galaxy Telltale Games trade paperback. This was a fun little cross – or not a cross – I guess like a, a tie-in book because Telltale Games, they right. did a new Guardians game. I didn't get to play it. I, I don't really have too much time for the video games. But I, I definitely made sure I picked up this comic, and I enjoyed it. It was a fun little just offbeat tale. So now's your chance to get the whole thing in one shot. Um, if you're an Inhumans fan, Inhumans Judgment Day number one. This is another, in, in my opinion, you know, it's like, hey, let's try to see if we can salvage the Inhumans and make them popular. Um, well, the TV show is definitely getting canceled now, so yes. that's not, that's not going to help. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they're, they are great characters, but they're just not, they're just not interesting. You know, again, it's it's one of those things where it's like before, you know, if you look at them since they've been around in the 70s, they've maybe had a collection of 100 stories. Okay, that's not bad. I mean, it certainly isn't a lot, but it's not bad. But now, if you look at them since probably 2015, they've had a collection of almost 200 stories. They're just, they're more interesting when they're scarce as opposed to being overpopulated. Now, was their first appearance in Fantastic Four? If I remember correctly, I believe so. Why do you think, well, okay, I guess this goes to the history. Were the Inhumans first or were the X-Men first? X-Men were definitely first. So why do you think that they didn't just go with the X-Men in the in the Fantastic War? Why create the Inhumans? Like, Well, because the Inhumans actually have a way different origin and situation. Um, because the way it played out was the Kree, when they came to Earth, they kind of like did experiments with people. So almost like think about like how in the DC books, when they talked about how there's the green Martians and the white Martians, right. it's almost to that effect. So the green Martians basically created another group of Martians, which were the white Martians. So the Kree came and with their experiments on humans, accidentally created a new form of human, the inhuman. So when these inhumans were created, there wasn't like a... Like at the biggest, their population was maybe like 50 of them, you know, so they decided to live in a very um, royal society. So hence the king and the queen and all that stuff. And it was more just the inhuman emperor family. Nobody ever cared about, you know, oh, look, it's Goatface Boy and he has the ability to jump. You know, no one cared about him, you know, but then they decided because of the absence of the X-Men in the movies they just said, well, if we can't have, because the Inhumans, it was kind of the same thing. It's like by the time you hit 15, you walk into this little chamber that has the Terrigen Mist. And when it hits you, it'll activate your Inhuman gene and then you'll be one of us. But again, that was only for the people in their society. So they kind of breeded amongst themselves, you know, out of the 50 people, you know, there are a couple of singles. So they got together. They had a child when their child was raised in the Inhuman Citadel, Adeline and all that stuff. You know, they'd take him to the chamber and he would get his powers. It was a thing. You know, the inhuman or the the mutants, the X-Men, that's just everybody here on normal Earth, normal everywhere, that they're just from either birth or their teen years, their X-Gene activates. Right. You know, so. I don't know. It's just that yeah. the idea that you have, you already have this race of people that is uh, ostracized from the rest of the, the, the race, the culture, whatever. Why bring in yet another race that is very similar but then you give a different background to i mean yeah cool more more characters and stuff but like you said in humans has just not been able to keep people's interest yeah. ever so yeah it, even though I, I keep hearing everybody say that you know the black bolt book is amazing it's like really how amazing could it be for a character who doesn't talk and you know it just yeah you know, i don't know just fights i get i don't i 
Well, it can be compelling, but it's one of those things where it's like I'd be interesting to know what issue are is it like you know is it issue fifteen? Well, yeah, a fifteen issue comic can be great. You know, Hawkeye, he had that run with um, Matt Fraction, twenty four, twenty five issues, one of the best. But as I've learned as a collector. I bought every Hawkeye book they ever put out there, and they all sucked. <laughs> and the one time I said nope was the time it was fantastic. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I missed that run, so I had to buy. And, you know, I bought the nice hardbacks, and I bought the next run after it, and it sucked. <laughs> and then I didn't get the next run after it, and it sucked, and I didn't miss it. You know, so it's hit or miss. You know, so yeah, you give a character a hundred issues. They're going to be some good ones and bad ones. You know, I mean, it's like Superman. Sometimes we get great runs and sometimes we just get publicated comics. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So that, to me, that's, yeah. But anyways, uh, Iron Man Epic Collection, Volume 15, Doom. Now, this is kind of neat. I've always liked when Iron Man and Doom face off because, you know, it's a technology war. It's an arrogance war, things like that. So these are definitely older back issues that are collected. If I remember correctly, I want to say this is like 80s Iron Man. So it's definitely, you know, peruse through it if you get the chance. And I definitely would say, you know, it's it's worth a go over. Uh, Legion is going to be getting his own... Uh, mini series here, a five parter. So part one comes out this month. Uh, obviously, this is probably due to the fact that Legion has his own show. Um, again, you know, just like we were talking about with hum- in humans, it's kind of like really in Legion. <laughs> He's not that great a character, no. but you know, if if you're enjoying the show and you want to know more about the character, this is definitely a way to do it. So that'll get you the the new history, as I like to call it. Uh, Marvel two in one issue two is going to be out. I have been waiting for this comic. Issue one was just one of the best comics I've read in a long time. Um, I didn't realize how much I missed the Fantastic Four. So now that I've got half of them there, and it's kind of neat because Ben and Johnny are going through their own crap. You know, Ben's starting to realize that he's like, well, the only reason people are bothering with me is because I'm the thing. You know, it's all superficial. Nobody really cares about me. And Johnny... He's acting like he's got a death wish, so that's why Ben has to come save him. But the reality is Johnny is like, no, I'm losing my powers. I think he's either losing his powers or he's dying, I forget. But it's like, so that's why he's pushing himself to see what he's still capable of. So it's kind of neat that you got these two lost guys, and, you know, it's like, all right, well, let's, we're family. Let's get back together and get each other back on the right track. So it was a great issue. Go get number one, and then definitely pick up number two. Uh, Marvel's Avengers Infinity War Prelude number one of two. So these books are kind of neat because basically what they'll do is they'll take some of the older movies and adapt it. So this might be an adaptation of the Ultron movie, uh, Age of Ultron. I'm not too sure. I forget. But they've been pretty fun. So it's there's definitely a reason they put them out there. Um, New Mutants Back to School, the complete collection. So again, <laughs> if you're starting to get excited about this whole New Mutant stuff, well, uh, there's a nice little excited. trade. Yeah. Uh, definitely, that's going to be a simmering pot, so get, get, be ready for the long run. Um, <coughs> Phoenix Resurrection, The Return of Jean Grey, number four. You know, this is something I'm invested in. I like Jean Grey. She's one of the original X-Men. I'm excited about it. Issue one hit good. Issue two and three were kind of softer, so I'm hoping four will be worthwhile. Because, again, this kind of like we were talking about with Nightwing, The New Order. It's like, okay, you've only got so much space left. If you're going to start making your moves, you need to make it now, or otherwise your last issue is going to just be way condensed and not end well. So I hope issue four definitely has a lot of growth to it, so that way it doesn't have that same feel. Uh, Thanos number 15. Again, Thanos, that book's on radar. Why? Because one of the Infinity Gems is there. So as we're getting ready for Infinity Countdown, that's going to be one of the books to read about. Plus, this may or may not be the issue where we get to discover who is this Ghost Rider. 
You know, he's in space. He's in the future. People were predicting Deadpool. It definitely seems like a good guess because of the way he's acting, but we'll never know until we get there. Um, Wolverine, Old Man Logan, Volume 6, Days of Anger trade paperback. This was cool because it was Old Man Logan versus the Maestro. Uh, I actually picked right. this up in single issue. I, I love when those characters fight, and I think this was great because Old Man Logan, why is he motivated? Why is he angry? Because the Hulk gang killed his family. Maestro, he's a dick. So you <laughs> just put those two against each other. This is going to be fantastic. Yeah, that was a good, that was a good run. That was a good story. Uh, uh it, and it makes sense, you know. Obviously, first appearance of Wolverine is in is in the Hulk, in Hulk yeah. and and these are this is Wolverine in the Hulk, but not exactly. It's, it's, in the it's Hulk. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little it's a little off, but it's still good. Yeah. So I mean, it was just it was fun to see two very angry versions of themselves uh, duking it out. Uh, let's see, uh, X Men issue tw- oh, sorry, X Men Blue issue twenty will be out, and this will finally conclude the Cross Time Capers Part Four. Um, I'm curious what's going to happen with this book because to me, I felt like this story arc was planting the seeds to be like, well, are you guys going to be sad if we take the old X Men and send them away? <sighs> you know, I, I definitely felt that's what it was, and so it'll be interesting to see like. Did this get enough numbers to justify the book staying? Or is this going to be like, okay, those numbers sucked. You got two more story arcs and we're canceling. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, it's a a fun little crossover. It could have been a two-parter instead of it being a four or five-parter. But that's just my opinion. Uh, X-Men Blue, annual number one. So, this will continue. We were talking about this last episode. So, this is more Venom, you know. (laughs) So, we're going to have the young old classic X-Men that are here now, they'll be teaming up with Venom for some strange reason and they're going to run around and have their adventures. And then we're going to see all these X-Men get Venomized as well. So that is what's on the racks. Choose wisely. So uh, I, once again, have not had a chance to read too much uh, this past week, but I did finally get to read my first issue of <laughs> Mystic U over at DC. Ooh, what'd you think? Uh... I think I might have hyped it up way too much in my own head. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, the stuff that they're setting up. So, I mean, the beginning of the book sets up with uh, basically Zatanna coming up onto this big scene of destruction. And she's uh, seeing other people that uh, that we know from the mystic realm of DC, you know. Right. Uh, first thing she sees is a, is a guy face down with a, that's wearing a trench coat. And she, like the rest of us, think John Constantine. Right, like, that's what I'm constant, or Not constantly, but instantly. Like, John Constantine. Oh, she's like, John, John. She runs over there. And I'm not going to tell her the whole the whole story, but she runs over there. And uh, the, the guy rolls over and he's like, not John. And she's like, oh, Dr. Occult. And oh, yeah. nice twist. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, it, you know, it's not, it, it wasn't your fault, blah, blah, blah. And then apparently Dr. Occult shares the body with a, with a lady. Yeah, Anisa, I think, right? No, but it's it's basically like his, his gal Friday. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then it turns to her, She cha- he changes into her, and she's like, he's gone. He's gone forever now, uh, basically saying he died. Oh, that's and a shame. And then uh, they, she does an incantation, and... We're back in time, and this is it's back to when Zatanna's a teenager. She doesn't have any magical powers yet. She's having she's helping her father do a show in Las Vegas. Uh, she comes in, uh, the, the Anissa or whatever her name is comes in and says, "Look, uh, Zatara, 
your your daughter has powers and she goes no he she doesn't she doesn't have any power she's going to be mundane she's absolutely normal baseline and zatanna hears that like overhears that and she gets really upset so while on stage with her father uh during that night's show she then does an incantation you know her backwards speak right and uh accidentally sends her father to hell Whoa. So, so then the lady anisa uh shuffles her off to uh to the university and uh they kind of just blow over the whole thing that Zatara is stuck in a hell dimension. And because she's just like, she's like, Oh, it's okay. Your father can handle that. I've seen her hand him. I've seen him handle things like that before. So it's just like, okay, I guess we just assume that's all taken care of. Then, uh, then you get to the college, the university and everybody knows like all the other students know about Zatanna and then know about the school. And even though they're all supposed to be like freshmen and stuff and new to the school, like the people that we meet, they're all very much like, uh, "Oh yeah, this is what this is, and this is what that is." And Satana's just like, "I don't know what the hell's going on. No one's explained anything to me yet." And it's just like, either everybody should know or nobody should know. It should, or maybe you could have the one person that's new that's like really into the lore of the whole university and stuff. But it's just, it's it's playing out a little too much like Harry Potter for me. That's what I was gonna say. I think. It's, you know, like, oh, here's Hogwarts University in the DCU. Yeah, essentially. And and I, I want it to be a little bit different. But the whole thing is, like, playing out um, that whatever they're going to do here, they went back in time because it's going to prevent the... Uh, and I, I already forgot what the big... The name of the big thing that's coming to destroy them. I think it's... Annihilation or Magog? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's something they keep they, they kept they kept referring to it, and obviously, and then by the end of the book, they say, "Well, the big thing that's coming for us is one of these five students, and Zatanna might be one of them." You know, it's it, it's the five students they've introduced us to. Uh, I don't. I, the only one of the one of the students I recognize, so as as or two of them. I'm sorry, Moon June is Doc, oh yeah, or Enchantress. June Moon yeah, yeah is is one of the students, and she already she already is enchantress so i guess we're getting rid of the whole found artifact thing as on a on a dig oh man she she's a split personality that shares her her body with uh, the enchantress and then the other one is the the son of felix faust who obviously felix faust sold his oh, son that's right and he's got the glasses right right oh okay now is he's the one he was because i was gonna ask you this question sorry to inter- interrupt it's okay but um like as a, somebody, this popped up. So I, I very much avidly follow the CBR forums where they talk about this. Well, the Cyclops appreciation thread. Okay, and they're like, "Oh, there's totally a character in that book that's Cyclops. He really is." Okay, <laughs> that's the only draw. And I thought he was a brand new character. I didn't realize that it was because uh, it was it's Felix, and then oh, I can't remember the son's name, but yeah. they've used him before because he was the one. Going back to Day of Judgment, when Hal right. became the Spectre, mm-hmm. he was the one. He actually grabs June, slices her throat, oh. and throws her into the hell okay. pit to restart the flame of hell. So he committed the new sin that reactivated hell. Wow. So it's kind of funny that if hopefully if that writer remembers that chunk of history, they bring that, that can play into something where it's like when they were kids, like maybe that's why he didn't feel too bad about doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, obviously he explains it how he has kind of the, his well obviously his attachment to the mystic world is because his father is Felix Faust his right. father sold his soul like yeah. his son's soul to the devil for eternal life 
So you got you have that going on. And then yes, there's that one point where he gets his his sunglasses, his purple sunglasses knocked off of his face and he just starts sucking uh life force out of uh, oh. Satana and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's not what I meant to do. You know, I was trying to help you and blah blah blah." Okay, that's new because he only really had the he only really had the glasses because like his eyes were cuz he's a soulless person. Uh, so it was just off-putting to look at this guy because the windows are the eyes. Right. The eyes are the window to the soul, right. you know. So maybe maybe that's something that they'll, they'll they're going to revamp his power or you know retool it or whatever. But like I said, it's just it right now it's it and I know that it's only a three issue book or a three issue story. Yeah, that blew my mind. And it's that's every small. every other month. But yeah. the, the the books itself are are extra pages. It's not oh, like, so they're thick. Yeah, they're okay. thick. So it's it's not the normal size uh, book. It, I mean, I would say it's probably about a book and a half. So. I don't know. I, obviously, I got the. I, I'm going for the first. Th- I'm going for the three stories just to see what what it ends up being. If if that means they're gonna retool the the magic in 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 the DC universe for whatever reason, then there you go. Yeah. Well, I hope they do something because this kind of like it's funny that you mentioned this three in, three issue oversized formula. Uh, they did a miniseries Dead Man. Oh, Haunted Love or something like that. It had this really long title. And it was a three-issue romance nor horror story. Okay. And I was like, okay, is this going to be pivotal or whatnot? And it was just a story to just tell a story. Which is nothing... There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But it's like, okay, well, but for a character like Dead Man, sometimes you hope these are like a character-defining moment or they, they do something. Which this just one makes to- you think, like, is is it just... Is is it a editor that's just like, I really need to get a Zatanna story out there or a Dead Man story out there or... Is it uh, was it a mandate from DC that is like we have an idea for uh, Zatanna later on this year, but we need people to remember her. So why don't you rewrite yeah, her the history? Yeah, keep them like pull them back up again or something. Yeah. yeah, you know. So it's interesting. And and the only reason I was curious about with Dead or bringing up the Dead Man was because they did that, and then the next time we see Dead Man is in this current Dead Man book written and drawn by Neil Adams, and the two books are totally like different of each other. Oh, okay. Like you could have replaced. Dead man in the the haunted mansion book, you could have put him like Ragman, and nobody would have known the difference. Ragman or the question, yeah, something. You know, hell, you could have even made it a Batman character. Like it <laughs> just, I mean, it's great that it had Boston in it. You know, I want as much exposure as I can for the character, but yeah, it didn't really add to the mythos of the character. So it's interesting, and like with this book that you're describing, to me, this is yeah, this is changing a lot of stuff. This is doing a lot because like, all right, what's funny, and I don't know if they know this, but Doctor Occult and Zatara. No, Z- Z- Zatanna and Zatara, right? So Zatara's the father. Zatara's the father. Those two characters, those are created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Oh. I mean, Zatara, I know, appeared in Action Comics number one with Superman. Wow. I don't remember if Dr. Occult, I think he may have already been in the detective books. So I think he's even older than Superman. So these are longstanding characters that have had interest in both DC you know, the, the post and pre crises. And now in this book, it's kind of like, well, we'll kill one, send the other to hell. Let's focus <laughs> on Zatanna. It's like, well, those are some big statements with some major characters. So I hope, I hope there's a good, I hope this is a precursor to something big magic wise in the DCU then. Me too. So, uh, what, what have you been reading that? So I, I finally, like I said, I've been doing this whole Cyclops, uh, through the ages type of thing. So I managed to get all the trades from, Basically, post Morrison and forward, and um, I just read uh, Decimation the day after, and I'm starting Deadly Genesis. 
Now, it's interesting because I was looking at stuff, and I'm hoping to eventually get organized enough. That I want to I want to write an article about this. But it, it's funny because in Astonishing Volume 1, Gifted, the big moment there for me is when Cyclops goes to Nick Fury, and Nick Fury kind of does show a prejudice towards mutants. So you see Cyclops off put by that. Then in Volume 2, Dangerous, that's where we learn that Professor X learned that danger the danger room was alive right. and he basically kind of enslaved it so then cyclops is like here you are talking about peace and then you did the exact same thing that people did to us um the third book would have been the um phoenix end song and then that one's interesting because there's a page in there where cyclops is training in the danger room and he's fighting phoenix scenarios and they're like well why are you doing that we don't know what's going to happen he's like i need to get used to killing my wife and that's like a very like that's a weird statement, you know, but it's like, oh, man. And and so I'm just looking at the change in this character. I think part uh, the next trade was um, House of M. And in that one, you know, that's the first time where I actually saw Cyclops again talk about killing somebody. So he's when they're in the House of M world, Cyclops is, you know, basically leading the Avengers and X-Men. And he's like, OK, when we go in there, if we have to kill Wanda, we have to kill Wanda. And that blew my mind because Cyclops has never been that way and this is definitely on the march to what he will or has become was it house of m where he was called basilisk or was that a different that was a different one that was uh age of x age of x okay yeah, so that was a crossover that in that one wasn't too far away from us but it'll be years in the future for these trades okay um but anyway so what i found with the decimation one that's the one where basically the next day they find out mutant populations down to like 198 right and the Sentinels are now going to be guarding them on the X-Mansion reservation. And it's just interesting to see Cyclops react to that, to being told you're an extinct species and one of your greatest enemies is now going to be sort of protecting you. And then with the upcoming one that I'm reading now with Deadly Genesis, that's going to be even more of another heartbreak for Cyclops because this is the one where we find out Professor X trained a team in between the classic and the giant size teams. Right. And that team pretty much all got killed and one of those members was Cyclops' brother. So as I'm reading these things, I'm like, damn, this is a huge character arc. I mean, at least each one of those stories, like I said, has a moment of where Cyclops is like, you know, he's always seen the world one way and now it's way different. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and it's just interesting going back and rereading these stories and being like, oh wow, this was this was definitely <laughs> something else. So I'm enjoying it. Um, this is Brubaker's works. Um, so it's kind of neat to, to see what's going on there. Uh, oh, there you go. Speaking of giant size uh, X Men, number one, that's the first appearance of the character we're talking about today. John Proudstar, of, aka Thunderbird, was created by Len Wayne, uh, writer and Dave Cochran, uh, artist. Dave Cochran also, what else? Is, I mean, obviously he did the X. Well, he was definitely famous for the X Men. Um, I want to say I, I think he floated back and forth between Marvel and DC. Um, because yeah, that's right. Cause he, he created Nightcrawler, Storm and Colossus and he was very popular when he was at Dave Cochran, that is when he was with DC for Legion of Superheroes. So those three characters were actually almost Legion of Superhero ah. DC characters. So he definitely did. Um, he was the one who gave the Legion like their stylistic look. So he was, you know, he was very much a character designer. So um, un until Deadly Genesis came about, <laughs> This was the team that came after the original X-Men team. Yes. So your original X-Men of uh, Angel, Iceman, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, and Beast. Yep. And then uh, they get stuck on Cro Krotoa? Cro I, always said, I always thought it was Krokoa. Krokoa? Okay. I thought. Fine. Um, uh, Cyclops is the only one that make it back. 
he gets there and he trains a new team. Well, Xavier, because yeah, once Cyclops comes back, Cyclops actually comes back powerless because we find out Krakoa is like a mutant vampire island. Okay. And so Cyclops is resting and that's when Professor X travels about and like he goes to Germany and he sees all these villagers with their pitchforks and torches hunting down poor Kurt Wagner. So he's like, join me. You know, he talks to Colossus' parents, join me. He saves Storm, join. So, you know, he goes around. Um, luckily, Banshee and Sunfire were previous characters that were used in the classic X-Men series. So they got recycled back in. And then Wolverine had already had his appearance in Hulk. So then he was the other character brought over. However, when uh, which was created by Lin Wayne also, right? Yes. He was never intended to be a... A, a, a mutant, right? Was Not it originally, because uh, yeah, like I think they they did say like like they had the original drawing of what he looked like behind the mask, and it did look it looked nothing like what we've seen. And, the and even then, were, they played with the idea that yeah, the claws came out of the gloves, right? So it was more a tool than it was a mutant ability. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so your new team consisted of, as you already said, Storm, Nightcrawler, uh, Banshee, Sunfire, Wolverine, Colossus, and Thunderbird. Thunderbird. Okay. Yep. Yep, so Thunderbird being one of the brand new characters introduced. Um, he was the... So it was funny because Wolverine's known as being the hothead of the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thunderbird was the hotter head. <laughs> you know, he was very much... And again, this is something, and I know we, we, we had that big talk last, like about a month ago. So the giant size X-Men, you know... All right, I'm, I'm going to deviate a little. I'm going to ask you a question here. Do you think that book would sell right now if they put that issue out? In this age of Twitter and and all that we are, you know, the exposed only reason, to. The only reason I would say no is because it seems like now uh, comic book readers don't like new characters. They don't want new characters. They just want the same characters. Uh, and I mean, they want new stories, but they want the same characters and they want them uh, updated. Like uh, what, what we got going on in uh, Avengers right now with this Voyager character, right? I don't know anything about it i'm not reading i'm not reading avengers I'm not, i haven't read avengers no surrender but that's kind of the same from from what i understand from what i'm glimming from uh articles and stuff it's kind of the same story that they did with the century was, she was around but then nobody remembered her or some shit like that and right they uh and they're just kind of reiterating that she's she was an original member of the Avengers and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I don't know. Well, we, we get that story a lot because even in Justice League, they did that as well with Triumph. Right. You know, he was the guy who actually got the original Justice League together. And on their first mission, he got blasted into a black hole and set into the future. And for him, it was only 10 minutes ago. Right. So we, we always get that. And even with, to me, not that it's necessarily the same, but I almost feel like Pandora. Right. When they did that with New 52, it's like, here's this character. It's going to be all seeing and all watchful. You know, to me, though, I, I would say the reason I ask this question, I'm not trying to ruffle anybody's feathers. Whatnot. I just don't think this comic would work in a politically correct world that we're in. Because? Well, because, okay, so the big part about this, and, and this is interesting. So um, that two Facebook that you got me for Christmas. Right. So I was reading it, and I was looking at it, and they actually had to put an editor's note in, and it's like, we're sorry for the some of the, s- racism, the, the racist or, remarks that are in here. And I was like, Racist? You know, like, wait, is, like, how does this work? And so in the hateful language, I was like, whoa, okay. I mean, I've read Batman I, and I've read old stuff. I'm curious what they're talking about. And I was, I was reading it and it basically is in the first appearance. Now, again, I'm not trying to use these words in a bad way. So I, I apologize up in advance if it is offensive. 
But there's a moment where even Two-Face refers to himself. He's like, well, with my queer face. Mm. Now, we know the word queer in its definition can mean weird. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's talking about. Right. I mean, this is a man who has a face half green and then half, you know, beautiful as right. he defined himself. And so it's like, and I, I, I see now the way that word's been played out. You know, it's like, okay, people don't, you know, I mean, we, yes, we've had TV shows, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, but it's also been used in a negative way. So it's, it's, it's tough because words, you know, like I can tell you, have a nice day, and you know exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> so I just find it interesting. But to me, Thunderbird, like, he is an offensive character, but I understand why he's an offensive character. You know, I, I'm, I'm a quarter Cherokee. And, you know, when I would go visit family, I would see a lot of people that were consumed with hate for the white man. And I got it and I understood it. I didn't like it. I didn't necessarily agree with it. But again, it wasn't thrown in my face as much growing up. When I look at the character of John Proudstar, I, I, I get it. You know, they're playing that. But at the same time, it's, you know, they definitely put some of the negative connotations on some of them. You know, like Colossus, you know, he'd be played like, oh, he's dumb Russian. He yeah. move everything, you know. Uh, Kurt Wagner was the only one who really had a good personality. You know, Storm, oh, she's a, an African thief. Okay, you know, Banshee, oh, you know, me boy, oh, oh, naughty, 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 you know, and, and even, you know, Sunfire, oh, he's a hothead. Right. But again, it's not because he's Asian, it's because he's flame-based powers. Did we ever think about that? So I just feel that it's one of those things where it's like, again, you could take one of those panels and put it out there today and there'd be such a negative Twitter storm reaction. So, yeah, I, I would say that if you were just to release it one for one uh t- today yeah there'd probably be a lot of people upset with it but if they were to redo it and or if they were to put it into today's standards I- i'd say that a nice diverse team like this could work uh, but i get what you're saying you're right yeah. it- it- it's the-, the sign of the times and things change and you know i don't want to say people get smarter but you know people well, we, we, we gain become, more experience yeah we gain you know? yeah we gain the experience so. Yeah. so that's why i'd be curious to see how the characters handled in the tv show the gifted because when he first appeared here in giant size x-men number one i want to say i think he died um like he only had maybe four or five appearances as a whole as a character right he was pretty much designed from the get-go to, to pass die. away like mm-hmm. this is perfect because it was also slipknot in yes, the, in the uh, Suicide, Suicide Squad, Squad movie, movie. Yeah. you know, so it's like, oh, geez, you know, he's literally, you know, put in the movie just to just to die, so that everybody understands what's what's at stake. Yeah, like just so you can understand, this is this is major stuff. So, and the reason why I wanted to bring this this character up is because uh, they did just have the season finale for um, the Gifted, where you know he's a he's a he's a big part of the show. He's a, he's a integral character. Probably to me, he's probably the only character that's of any interest and the only actor of any, that's doing any good on the oh, show. Wow, okay. I really don't enjoy that show, but you know, it's, it seems to be getting, it's, it seems to be popular amongst other uh, viewers and it's got its second season. It got renewed for a second season. So I did hear that. That's right. More power to them. Now, yeah, for being only four or five issues into our, uh, four or five issues appearance in, in uh, the, the Marvel U. Uh, the, the, the outfit they gave him was very stereotypical, very, you know, this is Native American garb, so he has to wear that. Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, I kind of feel sad that because I, I like the costume design. The to blue be and red one? Yeah, the blue and red, you know, and I do see the feathers and the typical, but at the same time, it's like, well, but, yeah, if you go to the cultures, you know, sometimes those cultures are there. You right. Know, like that's, that's embraced, but I do agree with you that it's like, oh, well, he's this, so he <laughs> must wear that. You well, know? It, they didn't go as far as, uh, like... 
Apache Chief for from the yeah, it's true. Yeah, Apache Chief, where he's just friends. like this guy just walked right on the res, <laughs> yeah. apparently, you know. But uh, no, I mean, I, I get you. I mean, it's it's not it's not a bad costume. It's just right. uh, you know they could have gone a little bit out of the outside of the box. Now in the show, he just wears normal clothes. I mean, no one really does any outfits or any uh, uniforms. I was gonna, or I was curious, like, like, do they just look like they're normal people, or do they have teams and costumes? I mean, and all that? it's the it's the mutant resistance versus the Sentinel services. Okay. Essentially, so uh, the Sentinel Services is a uh, federal law enforcement agency that that uh, is its sole purpose is to round up mutants and mutant agitators and and stuff like that. Um, and uh, the mutant resistance is just you know the the few mutants that are left in the world that are hi- hiding so that they don't become part of. Uh, Either the Hound program, which is run by oh. the Trask uh, company, okay, where they use uh, essentially, you know, what Stryker was doing in well, mutants to hunt mutants, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Rachel, Rachel uh, Summers was she was one of the original Hounds, right? Yeah, uh, they haven't past. they haven't showed her yet if they if they plan to. Ooh, that'll be a tough explanation <laughs> episode. <laughs> uh, but uh, there, there, you know what? I, I'll have to give them this. The show is doing well in saying, "Hey, here's some characters that you, you know, you might not have thought you would get to see on live action because we got Sage. Oh wow! You, yeah, you've gotten the Cuckoos. You've gotten uh, Shadow King. No, that was Legion. Legion Sorry. was Shadow Sorry. King. Yeah, uh, Polaris is one of the main characters. That's true, and she's a rare one. And they wanted. I mean, I think to me, it looked like they wanted to use uh, DaCosta. Um, oh no kidding what's his name uh sun flare sun- oh sunfire no is that sunfire no isn't i thought sunfire was the asian one yeah no the um the one that's the head of the u.s uh u.s agents or at least was during right before secret uh secret empire god what was what's his name it it, it doesn't matter oh uh, sunspot roberto sunspot, de costa yes, roberto okay de costa, yeah uh, Sunspot, but they didn't call him that. They went with a different name and they made up a new character. But it's essentially it's Sunspot. Okay, I I don't know why. Maybe well, he's got a lot going on. It's almost to me that sounds like it was probably like the Blue Beetle thing, right? Where it's like, okay, yeah, develop this character. Then last minute, here comes a producer, hands off, and it's like, <laughs> but we wrote everything, change the name, then, you know, because because Sunspot did get the moment in the movie in Logan. You oh know, yeah, that that's was right. he was the kid in that one, and and even in the comics, yeah. Sunspot is getting huge. Like he's to a point where he's almost on par with Captain America. True, you know he's he bought AIM. Yeah, and he's like stop being evil, work for me. <laughs> so uh, in the in the show, him and Polaris are a couple. They're having a baby. Oh yeah, uh, she just she's barely she she's she's kind of learning that her, who her father is being Magneto. But is it going to be? Are they I mean, big? that's what they're alluding to. They haven't said oh, the words yet. Okay. Uh, but like I said, I think that he's probably the most interesting character that they've got. Oh, and, and Blink. Blink is a big character because he's wow. got, he's kind of got a, a relationship going with her. Um, but in the show, I mean, they play off of his, well, his power set in the comic books is superhuman senses, strength, speed, stamina, and sturdiness, uh, trained, unarmed, uh, hand to hand combat. Now he was all in the in the comic book. It's or at least on his Wikipedia page, it says that he was part of the the Marine Corps, the U.S. Yes, Marine, Marine Corps. and that was a big thing for him. So he he comes out of Camp Verde, Arizona, for all us Arizonans. Oh, you, you know, yeah. he's part of our state and all that. And uh, and again, this is probably also what led to some of his 
bitterness. He was a, a Marine in the Vietnam War. Oh. And we know Frank Castle is one of our famous Vietnam veterans. Right. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, that was a messy war. I think everybody can agree with that. So to have seen all that and then go back to Res Life, it was kind of like, geez, this and sucks. And not, not just the Res you Life, know? but Res Life where he's a mutant, people still yeah. don't like him. So it's like you're a minority in a minority yeah. and even your own minority base doesn't really like you. There's a Johnny Cash song based off of, um, Oh my gosh! It was the the sands of Iwo Jima when they when they raised the flag, and one of the fourth men he was native, and I kind of feel like I, I I should know my history better, but I feel like that man in actual history I think that's where they kind of got the the, the inspiration for John, Proud, John, for John Proudstar. So uh, in the show he's also uh, a U.S. Marine Corps vet, and uh, they they you know they play that up a lot. They they bring up that part of it, and they use his super senses often, like he. He's the one that's tracking everybody, which brought made me think was interesting because thinking it back to his first appearance in Giant Size, you know, if you already have Wolverine on the team, I mean, that's two trackers on the team, like two yeah, exactly very powerful trackers because he's he not only is he able to like track somebody, but he can he can sense where they were when they were two hours ago, like kind of thing on the show. So also his tracking ability probably seems like it's even greater than Wolverine. Yeah, it does. Oh, interesting. So I wondered how they played that up in the in the giant size. Do you know? I remember. So I was like, I, I, I one of my uh, first readings of comics. I, I bought the old black and white copy of the uh, the Essential X Men, and it started off with Giant Size X Men number one, and it, it read up to like their first twenty five issues. Now he actually seemed like he was very much he was the strongest character of the group, really. You know, because it was like yeah, Colossus, Colossus, yeah, because like Colossus had to armor up, right? Thunderbird already was, you mm-hmm. know, and and the way so basically so he he gets drafted into the team, you know, so the the new team goes in, they rescue the old team, they find out Krakoa is an actual like vampire esque island that feeds off of mutants so the two teams team up and they manage to expel the island off earth and shoot it into space and so as they're all flying back in you know the prototype blackbird you know that's when beast has the first time he ever said this famously what are we gonna do with 14 x-men because they love to do that you know what are we gonna do with 29 avengers and it's always got to be hank who says that so it's the first time this ever happened and this hank is not furry yet so he's right, he's right. back in the day um so the two teams are there and the, you know the i think the book picks up on x-men 97 i think if i remember correctly is either 94 or 97 probably 94 and so with that in mind, <laughs> you know, the next two issues are kind of dealing with, okay, what's going to happen to the original X-Men and what's going to happen to the new X-Men? And some people are talking about maybe I'll stay, maybe I'll go, you know. Um, Storm, at that point, she hasn't really accepted the whole goddess thing, you know, and she's just kind of like, look, I'm a poor street kid from Africa. I don't know if I really like being in, in America here. You know, Kurt Wagner, you know, feels uneasy around everyone because his mutant appearance is always on. You know, even Beast looks normal. Kurt doesn't, you know. And John Proudstar, he's the super loner. I mean, yeah, Wolverine may be the guy like, hey, bub, you know, <laughs> drinking a beer, bub, you know. And John Proudstar is just wanting to be alone. And anytime somebody talks to him, he shuts him down automatically. Um, it, it finally comes to, like, they have a couple adventures, but the big one was his death issue. Um, I believe it was a two-parter. So what happens is NORAD, the big super base up in the Colorado area, I think, if I remember correctly, um, it gets taken over by Count Nefera, if I remember correctly. And the way I've always looked at Count Nefera is he's basically just Ghoul. Like 
What's that? Isn't he vampire like too? Or am I thinking of someone else? It's somebody else. Uh, oh, okay. He's just he's just like like I said. He's he's like a Rachel Gould type of guy. You know, he's got these world conquest plans. Uh, his daughter is actually Madame Mask, okay. the character from the Iron Man stories. So, anyways, he takes over. Um, he takes over NORAD. And it's, you know, it's like, okay, well, what are we going to do here? So the X-Men go in. Now, Thunderbird was even shown to have, you know, been butting heads with everybody. So with Cyclops, you know, always portrayed as the uber nerd leader, you know, those two were definitely bashing heads. So finally, you know, they, they, they get in there. They, they, they managed to re-secure uh, NORAD and take down Nefera's Animen. So basically he would, like, kind of experiment dr island monroe style you know mixing men with cheetahs and and frogs and stuff like that <laughs> and so they they get taken down so nefera's gonna escape so he gets in his jet and he's flying off and this is to a point where you know the team is like running alongside now proud star because of his mutant abilities he can outrun everybody so he runs and catches a jet a jet that is powering for takeoff. So he runs and manages to grab onto it. But by this point now, it's a little bit airborne. So he's lost his footing. And, you know, at that point, Cyclops is like, back off, back off, you know. And, you know, he looks over to Banshee, the next flyer they've got. And he's like, you've got to use your abilities to get there. You know, try to see if you can grab him and whatnot. <clears throat> so Banshee does. And as he's screaming along to go get the jet, even Professor X is monitoring the battle. And he's like, John, let go of the jet, let go of the jet. And then... Of course, you know, Proudstar takes it as like, you're questioning my manhood. No, I will stop this guy. There is no, there is no problems here. Um, so he starts, you know, bamming and punching the jet and whatnot. And he actually causes it to explode. Like, that's how powerful his hits are. So he, he basically blows up this, um, this jet. Um, and that's when he dies. And, you know, even Banshee was right there. You know, and he had to scream out his voice. So Banshee was taken off the roster for a while because he couldn't even talk. Um, so, and that's when we lose Proudstar. Um, if I remember correctly, I'm going to cheat here. This was issued. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Issue a 95 of X-Men. So, yeah, he only got three comic book appearances. Giant size. 94 and 95 wow. and then issue 96 was a reflection issue where they're all like wow can we believe that this guy died so yeah he was basically created to be you know the the sacrificial lamb for the team for everybody to learn that we need to work together and not bash each other and things like that um so that was that was the original story of the character uh later on they eventually they brought they introduced the idea of his brother James Proudstar. And that's about nine years later. It's yeah. his first appearance, New Mutants, uh, Volume 1, number 16, June 1984. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... I think that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I feel like someone was like, you know, maybe we killed off this character a little too soon. We want to bring him back, but we can't really bring him back. So let's bring that. Hey, he had a brother who has the exact same power set. Yeah. And in this little blurb here, it says that he's even his powers are a little bit stronger than his fa- than his uh, brothers. So it's <laughs> like, wow. Let's upgrade him too. Yeah. While we're at it. <laughs> um, and I, I've I've always I've read a lot of james brown star so warpath yeah, uh, warpath you know I've, I've read a lot of his stories uh seeing as how he's around now and i mean i i like i said i've never read anything with uh thunderbird but with james uh he's very angry he's always been uh, yeah. to, for me he's always been a, a very angry uh individual now uh i want to say with john 
like I said, I've never read any of the issues that he'd been in. Obviously, there's only three, like you yep. said. And I mean, he he's since had shows or it says that he's shown up in uh, Age of Apocalypse, Earth X, Exiles, and uh, House of M, and a, and, a, and a few What Ifs. But right, and I think I remember from What If. But my first appearance or my first time seeing the character, I was reading an X-Men book and someone was talking about making a sacrifice, sacrificing themselves for the, for the betterment of, of the mutants or something like that. Couldn't tell you what book it was. Couldn't tell you what story it was. Tell you, couldn't even tell you what character was saying it. But in the panel, what they showed was, um, John Proudstar on his knees crying. And then right next to him was Colossus on his knees kind of crying. Cause they were talking about the two characters, both sacrificing themselves for the betterment. And, oh, okay. And Colossus did it with the, the legacy virus, the legacy yeah. virus, right? And in his hand, he in Colossus' hand, you saw the the syringe, the syringe, yes. Okay. And for the longest time, because of that panel, for the longest time, I just assumed that John Proudstar also died from the legacy virus. Like the two of them did something to oh, okay. stop the legacy virus because I also didn't know the story of the legacy virus uh, or how how Colossus died. So. Uh, I, I believe it wasn't until a couple of years ago when I found out about John Proudstar sacrificing himself to take down Count Nefara or whatever his name was. So that <laughs> that was interesting. That that's literally my only uh, experience with experience. the character. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, for me, I was lucky. Like I said, I I, I had bought and I remember going to FanQuest. And she had one in her her collection of trades, and you know it was the essential X Men, and it's like okay, that's a big word, I'll buy it. <laughs> and you know it was like twenty five of their, for, you know, from giant size and ninety four in the next twenty some issues, all black and white. And it sucks because like I love that book. I mean, I must have read that thing two or three times. It was great. It was a great book, and for the price, I couldn't beat it. But it's just it's one of those things where it's like comics should never be in black and white. Because the colors, man, the beautifulness of it. Like, you're missing out. Yes, I know some people could look at those costumes and be like, oh, they're still beautifully designed. I don't care what you say. Banshee's costume is great. Sunfire's costume is great. Colossus's is great. All that stuff. So when you see, you know, all those beautiful colors invested in those characters, it's fantastic. So, I mean, I I remember reading those. And like I said, I got to read his whole life story, all three issues of it. You know, and and I was sad, you know. Like I said, he died in issue 95. I want to say issue 96 or 97 was the one where Cyclops was dealing with it. And it was like cry, despair, cry. And, you know, this comes in with a crossover with the man thing. And, you know, so Cyclops goes out in the middle of nowhere and he just takes off his visor. And he's like, damn it. You know, because he takes the loss of Thunderbird sincerely. It's like, it's my fault. If I was a better leader, this wouldn't have happened. And to me, you know, that's part of Cyclops' growth and that's part of my appeal to the character because it's like, we do that, you know, uh, as as somebody of a leader, you you do, you take everybody's faults as your own, you know, because if you were better at it, then they wouldn't have faulted. And this is just an amazing story. And, you know, because they even had to go tell Proudstar's family, you know, like, hey, your son passed. And it was just real ugly. Like, I think it was to the point where it's like, well, you know, that's what we get for trusting a white man. Interesting that you wouldn't have seen James then. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, like, oh, maybe there's his kid brother. No, he's away. You know, <laughs> maybe but, um, he joined the military too. I don't know. Yeah. Well, they they had him. I think I think they played James up a little bit better um, because since he was part of the New Mutants, he was younger, and so you know he probably was away out of school or something like that. But and again, and I can understand why James would be angry though because the New Mutants, like to me, that's always been a sad concept because the New Mutants sounds hopeful. 
Right. But then they're the ones that wind up getting drafted by cable and they're on the fringe of apocalyptic war. You know, so that's why it's like, yeah, you had Cannonball who was like, I'm a blasting with my southern accent. Yeehaw. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's like, yeah, he's got a, uh, a headset on. He's flying around with a big mech gun and he's like, I'm a blast your face, you know. And <laughs> so, yeah, they definitely grew up harder than, say, any of the X-Men, Wolverine included. You know, but yeah, I, I definitely remember reading those issues. I thought he was an amazing character. You know, I was sad to see that his sacrifice. It was sad to see somebody consumed with hate eventually let hate consume them. To me, that's the story that John told me. Um, but his death definitely affected the X-Men and it taught them a, a serious lesson. So at least it wasn't in vain. Uh, two other stories, if you're interested. So there's Necrotia. And Chaos War. Now, yes, the, the, the list you mentioned earlier, those are all, you know, alternative uni- uh, versions versions of them, you know. So Age of X, or sorry, the Age of Apocalypse, instead of it being the battle between Charles and um, Magneto, this was just Apocalypse usurped both those guys and remade the world in his image. Uh, but anyways, Necrotia and Chaos War, it's kind of funny because to me, those are both the uh, the Marvel... Uh, versions of Blackest Night. Mm-hmm. So Necrotia is an X-Men event and it's bare, It's very much the demons come into it and they start resurrecting dead mutants. So <coughs> they obviously would pick... I mean, every dead mutant in the X-Men world means something to somebody, but they would pick characters that like, oh my God, this is going to have an emotional tug. So Thunderbird gets picked up because this story crossed over with the uh, X-Force book. And at the time, Warpath was a part of the X-Force team. So what better to have, you know, affect Warpath than facing his dead brother Thunderbird? That was, so, was that the one that brought back the a lot of the new mutants too? Oh, it definitely shooed Horden them in. You know, yeah. it was kind of like, hey, do you remember these characters? So it, it, it helped to bring them back. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Like, I don't want to say they were resurrected, well, but it definitely got the... Cypher the was resurrected for in one of these stories. Yeah, yeah, Doug. Yeah, he yeah, was brought back. Yeah, I don't remember which one, but yeah. Yeah, so that was a neat one. The art is very interesting on that. The artist who drew that, uh, it was it's pretty wild. One of these days, I'll probably have to buy the collection and check it out. And then Chaos War. Chaos War kind of does the the same idea, but this time it's it's mixed with both the X Men and Avengers. Um, I'm curious about this event because I remember it, and I remember it being in the solicits, and I passed on it. <laughs> and every time I come back and I look at this, you know, these Wikipedia entries or whatnot. I'm thinking to myself, like, why the hell did I pass on this book? It sounds actually kind of interesting. So this might, uh, I think this is definitely going to be on my reading list because this is like the 10th time it's popped up now. So obviously it's, it's, it's a very important story. So I think maybe they, they, they sold it short. So those would be two. Well, basically, if you want to get the complete Thunderbird, go out and buy, you know, Marvel Masterworks Uncanny X-Men Volume 1. You could get a hardcover or trade. Um I would recommend spend the money on the hardcover because the Masterwork series, especially for the Uncanny X-Men, it's up at volume 10 right now. So you could have X-Men number one all the way up to X-Men at least 176, maybe even higher, all those issues. You could have a complete run of the classic 
and giant size X-Men, all the great 60s, 70s, and 80s stuff. You can have that in hardback. So that's going to be a worthwhile investment because you'll read one and they definitely spiral on. Uh, Necrotia is available as a tradeback and hardcover as well. And Chaos War, I believe, is available as a trade paperback. So those would be the three stories I would say. If you've watched this episode of Gifted, you're more intrigued about the character himself, go back. But the the, the John Proud story that you're seeing in Gifted, I would wager, is probably going to be closer to Warpath. Yeah. Than he is to it's, Thunder. It's obviously, yeah, a little bit of a mix of the both. However, he doesn't have the big chip on his shoulder that that either character has been hmm. portrayed as having in the uh, the comic book. So it's more he's more he's more of like a you know we need to work together so that we can we can strive as a race kind of thing. So he's probably definitely more the modern Warpath right. because Warpath he definitely like I would say I remember reading Warpath and if you want a good Warpath story, I would recommend. Um, Messiah Complex, yep. because that's the book where every mutant, you know, all 198 of them, <laughs> they fought amongst themselves and the Sapien League to try to recover the first baby born post M Day. Mm-hmm. And this was the book that founded X Force, which led to the more modernization of that team. Warpath was on it, right. black and gray costumes, mm-hmm. the the very much response team as opposed or sorry proactive team instead of response team Mm -hmm. and i know john was definitely he seemed a lot calmer in that Mm -hmm. as opposed to just or not sorry not john james james he seemed a lot more calmer and sure of himself and and more thoughtful as opposed to just be like let's do this let's break in and go now (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah if uh in in i thought it was interesting because there was a scene in the season finale and spoilers right now in three two one if you haven't read or haven't watched those that episode yet, but in the season finale of uh, The Gifted, there's this, he's obviously started to have feelings for Blink. Um, someone gets their eye on her, like they they get their aim down on her with a gun, and he jumps in front of it and, and puts his back to it and uh, shields her as they unload into his back. And I don't know if he is wearing a uh, bulletproof vest at the time or if that's just another part of his power set because he's super strong. Like, they've shown him being super strong and they never never shown him being invulnerable. But sometimes comic books like to throw out, hey, if you're already super strong, you, you automatically get invulnerability. Yeah. I don't agree with that, but, you know, it's, it's a thing that happens. Uh, so he takes a bunch of rounds to the back and he doesn't seem to be hurt. So I thought that was going to be the scene where he was sacrificing himself and he was going to be done with the the show, but didn't seem to be that way. Yeah, it, uh, it was interesting. So I, I'll definitely have to go and watch this episode because I'm curious to see how they played them out. Um, and if you don't mind, just in a little actual w- real world history, this was the uh, soldier I was thinking about, Ira Hayes. Oh, okay. Ira Hayes, uh, he was born January 12th, 1923, passed away January 24th, 1955. So very much a young man. Um, he, he was part of the Pacific Theater of Operations, so he was one of the six Marines that raised the flag at the Battle of Iwo Jima. Um, very, um, very big Native American soldier, very famous Native American. Um, and I believe, even if I, if I remember correctly, I think they were questioning whether or not he may have been one of the Marines that helped raise the flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always remember him because of the Johnny Cash song, you know. And it was very much sad because, uh, same thing, he, was, he lived here in Arizona, and, but he was just found dead, you know, nearing an, an adobe hut. And that's where he lived, and this was uh, Sacaton, Arizona. You know, and 
it was just sad to see this guy to be such a, a big part of American history. You know, they, they touted those six Marines around like these are the men. They raised the flag in the face of, you know, foreign tyranny and they did all this and just to see the guy pass away that way. So if, if you, you know, Ira Hayes, he's, he's very much a real world person, a lot of history there. Uh, give him over, give him a look over and, you know, learn something from him and hopefully, you know, You'll, you'll gain some new information. There you go. A little bit of real-world history to go with your comic book history. Uh, if you have anything that you'd like to throw in on this character, any of the stories we talked about this week, we'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter as at agent underscore of the underscore bat. Chris is also on Twitter as... Stuff I should say should being spelled S-H-U-D. The rest of the Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram. Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page, and geekeliteradio.com is our website. Check out that website for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But until next time, this is Imagine If on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.